The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you, each week I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And we will be having Chen with us today in a few minutes. He's going to join us to tell us about what some of his uh, latest picks are and some of his thoughts on uh, the energy markets and the gold markets and, and some other things that he's looking at. So uh, Chen will be with me. He is the author of What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? You do need to put your name on the waiting list if you uh, wish to subscribe to Chen's letter. At the start of each calendar quarter, Chen accepts a set number of uh, a certain number of new subscribers, uh, up to a maximum number of subscribers. Uh, to put your name on that waiting list, you need to go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. Uh, you can buy a, a subscription to my newsletter anytime at miningstocks.com, J. Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And I do think that we are uh, approaching some very, very fascinating and profitable times in the gold mining industry, and I think uh, that may come through to you as you listen to uh, our guest on today's show. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel. Uh, I want to encourage you to send along your questions and comments and criticisms, uh, gripes, com- whatever. Uh, send them to questions for taylor at gmail.com. Questions at number four, taylor at gmail.com. We want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Vino Silver and Gold Mines, Columbus Gold Corp, Cornerstone Capital, and Wellgreen Platinum. And I'm very proud to have all of those as sponsors to my uh, radio show at this point in time. I should mention that each and all four of those companies are also recommendations in my newsletter. Avino Silver and Gold Mines, uh, 35.3 million shares only outstanding at $1.68. Exciting growth in silver and gold production, primarily silver. 
from this Mexican producer should be doubling silver production over the next couple of years. Also just acquired a small gold, high-grade underground gold mining operation in British Columbia. Columbus Gold, definitely moving towards a world-class gold deposit in French Guiana with a major mining company, one of the top mining companies in the world, joint venturing that. Columbus Gold gets a almost just a whisker under 50% carried interest. Uh, a very exciting story. I think very undervalued company right now at 135.8 million shares at uh, 44 cents. So a very minuscule market cap for what I think uh, could be uh, and is most likely developing there in French Guiana. Cornerstone Capital selling at a mere seven cents, 119 million shares outstanding. But Cornerstone Capital is, uh, it looks most certainly as if it is in, on to the discovery of a major, a very major gold, copper, porphyry uh, deposit in Ecuador. Uh, a lot more work has to be done before it can be uh, properly defined. Uh, but some of the most, uh, I think, some of the most exciting intersections I have ever seen uh, so far coming from that project. The question is uh, the economics, and there's a lot of, a lot of, as I say, a lot more work to be done before that can be uh, determined. We did talk to the CEO of that company recently. Uh, on on this show, and he'll be coming back again sometime in the not too distant future. Well, Green Platinum. If you like platinum and palladium, and I know Chen Lin does, so we'll try to ask him about this when he comes on with us in a few minutes. Well, Green Platinum, 109 million shares. That's with a 9.1 million dollar financing they just did at 66 cents a share. I think they have one of the better, one of the uh, really good exploration. Uh, projects advanced stage exploration platinum group metals deposit along with nickel and copper uh, that exist in North America very promising story and a very competent management team I believe developing that project into something that I think uh, could definitely be classified as a world-class platinum group metals project uh, uh, development story project in the Yukon in Canada well, I've titled today's show, The Dollar Versus Gold, An Epic Battle is Taking Shape. And uh, Chen, as I mentioned, Chen Lin will be joining me. Dr. Michael Berry will be with me at about a half past hour. Uh, and David Jensen will also be joining me later in the hour. Uh, paper gold markets have become exceptionally volatile, but people are just recently showing an urgency to get their hands on physical gold rather than paper gold. Uh, some people believe, and I think very very likely is true, that a line has been drawn in the sand at $1,200 gold by the bullion banks that really hate gold because they'd much rather have you believe in the paper that they created, the paper money that they create out of nothing. They can use that to redistribute wealth from the people that produce it, from the average folks that middle class to themselves and to the their political friends in Washington. That's really what's going on. So, folks, don't go away. After the commercial break, we're going to have Chen Lin with us. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Production of platinum and palladium is heavily concentrated in South Africa and Russia. Rising costs, labor strife, and ever more challenging underground mining conditions have led to serious and ongoing supply deficits. 
New sources of PGMs from stable regions are needed to meet the increasing global demand. Well Green Platinum's PGM Nickel Project in Canada's Yukon hosts one of the world's largest concentrations of platinum, palladium, and nickel. Excellent management, favorable jurisdiction, strong supply and demand fundamentals, and near-term catalysts. Visit wellgreenplatinum.com to learn more. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a low-cost, high-grade producer with 27 years of operating experience. In 2012, Avino resumed production at its historic Avino property and plans to be a multi-million ounce silver producer in three years. Avino is debt-free, well-funded, and has Sprott as its largest shareholder. Avino recently listed on the NYSE MX Exchange, trading as ASM. Visit Avino online at www.avino.com. That's A-V-I-N-O dot com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and uh, I'm not sure we had uh, some technical difficulties. I'm not sure how much of what uh, I said you heard during the first segment of today's show, uh, but our guest now with us is Chen Lin, my partner, uh, Chen Lin, who, uh, who publishes a newsletter called What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? He's had a, a fantastic track record over the last number of years uh, investing money, and his newsletter has done very well uh, for many of his subscribers. Welcome, Chen. It's really good to have you with me today. Thank you, Jay. Really good. Uh, uh, Chen, um, I know that you have uh, been pretty bearish on gold most of the year, uh, recently turning somewhat more bullish uh, what are your thoughts right now on gold, and, and why have you sort of uh, uh, turned a bit more bullish than you were earlier in the year? Oh, I, I never bearish on gold. I mean, I'm just trying to uh, to find the bottom. You know, it's it's pretty difficult. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, three years ago, two three years ago, I started telling my subscriber to to you know to to get rid to sell down gold miners to underweighting gold miners. I mean, moving mm-hmm. other. I recall. Yes, because I, because I, I feel you know gold could have uh, some corrections, and which it had a very brutal, actually much worse than yeah. I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, the but I've been waiting for the sign, the bottom of the the the, the whole sector, and I see they maybe you know there could be a a very good chance actually there could be a bottom here. It, mm-hmm. it would be a bottom. I'm not sure it's the bottom, but you know, uh, but it, it could be it could bounce. You know, we could have a very good bounce in the next few months. Mm-hmm. I, I think the one exception in the precious metals sector, though, that you've not been as bearish on is the, uh, the platinum group metals. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I've been uh, quite, quite bullish. Actually, throughout the past few years, I've been, the major holding has been the platinum metal group, palladium, platinum. Actually, this year, I have some done fantastically in, in palladium, particularly palladium trading. It just went up so much recently. Actually, I sold most of my position, but that has been a very good year. 
Mm-hmm. And I guess it's really it really comes down to supply and demand. Maybe uh, could you discuss a couple of those factors that really make you bullish on on the PGMs? Right, most PGM by two countries, one South Africa, one Russia, right? So, and uh, the, the PGM plates, by plating, usually used for cars emission control, which is reduced pollution. I mean, China is most polluted, you know, it's one of the most polluted next to India. Uh, so, they will require the increase the car emission standard, and with such a huge automobile market in China, if they, you know, to tighten the requirement for the car emission. Uh, the the platinum palladium, better palladium price would go much higher than the current price. Mm-hmm. And um, with respect to the supply, I guess um, South Africa's had its problems, obviously. And and uh, I heard even that Russia was buying some platinum or palladium off the markets. I don't don't know if that's true or not. But uh, are there some? producers uh, or some new mining companies, mining some companies that you have your eyes on that, that you've done well in, or have you just uh, speculated and, and done well in the metals themselves, trading the metals? I've done both, metals and, and mining. So this year I've done very well in metal, especially you know in a future market. But mm-hmm. the mining, I did quite well at the earlier part when South Africa had strike, you know, specifically steel water, which is a uh, you know, palladium platinum miners. Producer, I also have Wellgreen, uh, which mm-hmm. is twice. I was very impressed with, with what they have. So that's a junior. Wellgreen hasn't made much money for me yet, but I think it will eventually because the huge deposit uh, grade is very high. Uh, there's a lot of uh, misperceptions by the market to, to the deposit, and eventually they will, will clear out. Yeah, we've uh, Wellgreen. I should mention is a sponsor to this show, and we've had uh, Greg Johnson. Uh, on this program to talk about the uh, the project, you and I both visited that project uh, the first time, but you were up there a second time, and it's a much more advanced project now than it was. And I think the the management has changed, I believe, for the better since those days, Chen. So it's certainly one that I'm enthused about. It had a nice run yesterday, a nice eight or nine cent uh, increase, which is a big percentage rise yesterday, it, uh, despite the fact that they just come out and raised uh, nine point one million dollars. So I think that that has to be encouraging. Yeah, yeah, looks very, very interesting. I mean, the the size again. I think the market has some uh, misperceptions of the whole deposit, uh-huh. so it, it will take some time for people realize that you know this is a this is a real, it's a good deposit. Yeah, yeah. Some of the complaints I've heard about it. Uh, we've had a couple of newsletter writers in this show talk about it. One is that it's more of a nickel and copper project than it is anything else than it is a, a platinum group metals. Uh, well, it is. It does have a lot of nickel, that's for sure. But it also has a lot of PGMs, a little gold as well. Uh, so, it, it, um, and, and the other thing was the metallurgical issues. I think probably the biggest uh, idea is uh, or question mark in a lot of investors' minds is whether or not um, you know whether or not they can get it out economically, get the PGMs out economically. But uh, my sense is that they will be able to do that, and um, I guess we'll we'll find out for sure. But uh, yeah, thanks for mentioning that, Chen. I, I, that is certainly one of my favorites as well. Uh, you, you've done very well. Um, you know, one of the things that I really admire about you, Chen, is you're able to sort of go out there and find certain sectors at different times uh, where there's an opportunity to make money. And you seem to get there before a lot of other people do. Uh, for example, you've done very well in the biotechs this year. What uh, What are a couple of biotech favorites? Or, or Do you still like that sector? Are there certain... 
uh, companies within that sector, I guess, that you're really fond of still? Yeah, biotech, I actually, I would more correctly correct you that the more did very well actually in the past two years. And this year actually was not a very good year for biotech. Um, uh-huh. My biotech had went down except with a few I have, you know, I, I did very well with some Ebola plays, but, but I'm already out of those. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, but, but right now I'm still holding, uh, but it's a reduced position, uh, Sreptica, and mm-hmm. also holding Neptune. Okay, so those are uh, interesting biotech, but next year, you have to look into next year now, because uh, the catalyst, generally the catalyst will come next year. Mm-hmm. So you think there's some hope for those stocks next year? Yeah, yeah, there will be there will hopes. But right now, immediately, there could be some tax loss selling, actually, from now to Yeah, yeah right. It's time to pick up some, some, some stuff on the cheap. <laughs> yeah, but, but, well, that's, yeah. that's certainly right. I mean, some of us, uh, those of us that have been in the gold industry are, are sellers during this tax loss season. I went through my list and got rid of a whole lot of names. Just I asked myself, are these things worth more as a tax loss or as a, uh, you know, worth more as a tax loss or, as, or just to hold them and looking for the longer term? But uh, both Sarepta and Neptune are, are a couple, I guess, you like, and possibly uh, more so next year. I guess maybe some approvals from the FDI, uh, from the uh, yeah, regulatory right. agencies. Yeah, right. Many catalysts are out there. Many catalysts next year for the FDI approval. Yeah, Neptune really is the production ramp up next year. Okay. Yeah, you know you um, you've you've done. I think you were very bullish, and I don't know what what your views are on oil. I must ask you because oil obviously has taken quite a hit in the last couple of months or so. Uh, what is your outlook for oil right now, Chen? Yeah, actually, I wasn't very bullish on oil since last year. Uh, mm-hmm. Actually, if you recall, I was shorting oil. I thought supply demand kind of imbalanced. There's oversupply. Last year, I already saw that. Unfortunately, oil didn't go down until this year. But actually, the reason is more geopolitics. You know, uh, geopolitics is probably a, a fancy name for for market manipulation by the government, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so maybe the government and their crony uh, capitalist friends. Yeah, it didn't go down. And then when they went down, it went down very fast this summer. Uh, you know, yeah. it, it, it's, uh, what I feel is really, uh, you know, Saudi and United States government, maybe together with, you know, Goldman the, or other broker in the market, just push down the oil price to hurt Russia, to hit hurt uh, Iran, to hurt Venezuela. Right now, all these countries they don't like. So um, the uh, a, a, from supply demand marketing, you know, if, looking, if we look at a pure market, economy point of view, I think all your price is bottom. But for political point of view, I do not know because I don't know what the government wants the oil to be. They may want to uh-huh. or you know, maybe one to 60s, 70s. But my take is that the lower it push, actually later on, the, the higher it will bounce. Right. Unfortunately for me and for my subscriber, I saw that because I had a bearish view of oil since last year. So I saw the oil coming down in early September. You can see if you see that uh, oil is still almost $100. I told my subscribers to get out of oil stocks. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was a very lucky call for me and for subscribers who listen to follow me because we, we got out a lot of position and uh, yeah. raised a lot of cash. And actually right now I'm busy buying gold miners. <laughs> buying other All right, so I want to get, I wanna get to that uh, <laughs> with, the, with the few minutes we have left. I, I think, though, before I do, just want to ask you a couple of your favorites, very low-cost oil producers, mm-hmm. uh, Mart and Pan Orient. You still like them for the long term? Oh, yeah, I still love both in the long term. And Mart just waiting for the pipeline. The pipeline has been really a disappointment. They have been delay after delay after delay. Yeah. 
plus mm-hmm. oil price came down, Nigeria, Ebola. I mean, there's sellers all over. You can see the volume. Someone just want to get out. That's fine. I think it's a fine company going forward. I think but I, I checked with management many times. They, they're not going to dilute at this price. They basically had that covering the period until the new pipeline was supposed to be this month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hope last time they said definitely by the end of the year. And then so we'll, we'll, we'll take their words. And once the new pipeline comes in, they can quadruple their production. So it should. Uh, so there's. So there's upside. Uh, you feel even if we don't get a big run up in the gold uh, in the oil price, there's exactly. a good uh, just on the production. All right. We. Uh, my engineer is telling me we only have a couple of minutes left here yet, Chen. So I've got to go quickly on to gold. James Turk was talking about how a lot of these bullion banks have really written a lot of calls at twelve hundred dollars, and have sort of drawn a line in the sand. And you mentioned that you thought. You know, this is sort of an epic battle taking shape here at around 1200. Gold briefly broke through 1200 last week and you started getting more bullish on it. And as I look at the gold market right now, the COMEX in New York, we're looking at 1199, $1 under that magic 1200 mark. It seems as though there is a quite a battle to keep the price of gold suppressed. I think the bullion banks don't want to have to give up the gold, apparently, if, uh, you know, if it were to go above that call price. But what do you think? Are we going to, Get through this twelve hundred dollar uh, price, and then uh, answer that, and then tell us maybe one or two of your favorite gold shares that you really like at this time. Right, the uh, go. Uh, it, it right now you can see in the past few days, every time go go up uh, above twelve hundred dollar, there's a push down. Right. Yeah. I mean, almost every day there's a twelve o'clock Eastern Standard Time. You can see the gold went yep. down. Actually, about the, yes, about the time that uh, London is closing shop. Exactly. I had to change my lunch schedule. I have to have lunch at 11. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> so I can watch the gold at 12. Uh, it's, it just, you know, when they drop, I just buy some. You know, it's very simple because it, you can see every time, every day, when they push down below 1,200, it's getting mm-hmm. weaker and weaker. So I think we have a good shot to push through, okay? I don't know what catalyst will be if Swiss can can win the referendum, which market doesn't count on. It's, there's a report that came out today that, they, you know, if they... If a yes vote, gold will explode. If it's no vote, it's in the market because nobody believes it will pass anyway. So Yeah, I don't think most people believe it will pass. <laughs> well, Chen, let me ask you because we're just about out of time. Oceana Gold has been one of your favorites. Do you still like that one a lot? Oh, yeah, and is yeah, there I another like one or two that you might like a lot? Exactly. You want to stick with high-quality gold assets. Okay, all the gold went down, and then gold will go up. And what will drive gold price up? One part of it will, will be fund inflow. The fund will go to the bank. Let's go uh, miners. And then sure. secondly, you want to avoid the miners that need to raise money. Every time you raise money, you got 15, 20% haircut. Yeah. Uh, and so that uh, Oceana, the, the call, cash cost is negative. <laughs> right? So they are generating incredible cash flow. Uh, the only thing they're probably looking for acquire some company. I don't know. But the company management has been very, very prudent. So in the past many years, they, uh, they resist any deal that's not adding with a shareholder value. So I have trust in them. I think it's a very good stock tool. Oceana Gold. And before we uh, say goodbye today, Chan, what is the symbol on Oceana Gold for our uh, listeners? Yeah, OGC in, on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Excellent. Very good. Yeah, Chen, we'll have to have you back and we can talk some more. Uh, we're out of time, but I really want to thank you for coming on and sharing your ideas with our listeners once again. And uh, we'll look forward to doing it again soon. Thank you, Jay. Thank you very much. Well, folks, don't go away. After the commercial break, we're going to have Dr. Michael Berry with us. Uh, and then David Jensen, a little later, will be with us as well. So don't go away. We'll be right back. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Cornerstone Capital Resources is a prospect generator focused on joint venturing its highly prospective gold, silver, and copper projects in Ecuador and Chile. At its Cascabel Joint Venture in Ecuador, funded by partner Sol Gold PLC, hole five of an ongoing drilling program intersected over 1,300 meters, grading over six-tenths of a percent copper and over half a gram per ton gold. Cornerstone retains a 15% interest financed through to completion of a bankable feasibility study. Symbol CGP on the TS. SXV and CTNXF on the OTC. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again, uh, really pleased to have with me again once again, Dr. Michael Berry. Uh, Michael has, uh, well, been a good friend of Michael's for a number of years now. We've uh, been on various panel discussions and uh, have been speakers at uh, various events in, in Canada and the United States. He is a pioneer in the emerging field of discovery investing. Uh, and really picks some very interesting investments uh, uh, using that theme. He researches and writes on companies that focus on uh, natural resources, high-tech and biotech, so very diverse. Uh, and from 1982 to 1990, he was also, uh, or he was then in those days, a professor of investments at the Colgate-Darden Graduate School of Business Administration at the University of Virginia, uh, during which time he published a book titled Managing Investments, a Case Approach. And, uh, well, he's really had quite a, a, an experience also as a, uh, an investment advisor. Um, he uh, was a, a fund manager uh, for Heartland Advisors uh, and Kemper Scudder. So, uh, but he, uh, along the way, decided that maybe... Uh, academia wasn't where he wanted to be because I think he sort of believed that maybe all that was being taught uh, he couldn't in good conscience continue to uh, to spew forth to new young 
mind. So uh, I really appreciate Dr. Berry's ability to break loose from uh, the confinement of academia. Welcome, uh, Michael. It's really good to have you with me again. Well, Jay, it's great to be back with you again. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. You know, um, your friend, Dr. Gary Schilling, who we've had on this show, very well-known economist. I hear him, or at least have in the past, heard him frequently on Bloomberg with Tom Keene and some of those guys. Uh, very highly esteemed. He's a good friend of yours. He has uh, been uh, been written, you know, has written a book on uh, deleveraging uh, and on deflation. Uh, you and I have bantered around this whole issue of which way does this thing tip on an inflationary or deflationary direction. Uh, Schilling has been steadfastly a deflationist, and you indicated to me when I spoke with you the other day that you're sort of leaning in that direction too now. How so? Oh, definitely. And, you know, you and I have talked over the last decade or so. I've been on the fence, uh, you know, thinking that maybe the various QE programs that we've seen the Fed put into action would really uh, give us some kind of sustainable growth in the world. And that has not happened. They've been failures. So what we see now is a huge debt overhang in the world, but particularly in the U.S. and Europe. And, and China is, a, is an unknown right now, but we know, it's an, we know there are problems there. So I think, I think that the Schilling's approach, which I, I'm beginning to really think holds sway here, is that the world has to deleverage, and there's another four to five to six years of deleveraging if we get after it today. That is, all debt has to be paid back or it has to be in some way dealt with. And mm-hmm. um, until we do that, we're not going to have sustainable growth. In fact, we're going to have declining prices. We're going to see what is traditionally called a, a, a shrinking market and lower, uh, lower prices. We're going to see savings rates go up. And uh, I think that we're in the beginning phase of that kind of a cycle now. So I think mm-hmm. there's several years left, and, and you see it in the commodities for sure you do. Um, uh, uh, so having said that, and I watched the money multiplier religiously, I studied that, and I watched the um, velocity of money, when those things do turn, then we're going to have very high rates of inflation. So it's, it's, it's a double whammy that we're, we're going through for the next five to ten years, I think. And, and we're going to have to be quick on the trigger to, to take advantage of the situation. Well, it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned velocity of money because I think that's a term that most economists, or you don't hear mainstream economists talk about money velocity very often, do you? No, and when they do, no, you do not. When they do talk about it, basically it's the, it's the rate of circulation of the money supply. Sure. You know. And it, it, there are many reasons why the velocity can fall. Um, you know, new technology is one reason. And, but basically we've seen it now declining for, oh, the last eight years or so, quite significantly, and it's still in decline. And the, we know the banking system because the multiplier is, has been and now in decline for 74 months. We know that the money multiplier, the rate at which banks make loans, basically, um, is also declining. So, you know, the factual banking system isn't working. The base money supply has increased, but the, the money supply and circulation has not. And these are all signs to me that the, the economy is not, uh, that sustainable growth is not possible in this economy, that it's slowing down. We see the two export economies, China and Germany, really struggling now. They, they, do, need, they do need exports. So, so you see this race to the bottom in the currencies, and they are exporting 
deflation as they knock their currencies down. And so, you know, if you if you look at the world as now globally connected, you've got a really strong case for a deflationary environment, in my opinion. Well, it seems to me, uh, uh, Dr. Barry, not that I was around then, I'm not quite that old, but the 1930s, you had uh, what was defined as uh, you know a beggar thy neighbor environment where all the countries were trying to get a break by cheapening their currency and trying to cheat a little bit on their trading partners that way. You also had the phenomenon of money pumped into the system and it wasn't getting out, it wasn't being lent out, the pushing on the string analogy which was drawn up in the 1930s. And you're seeing a, a hollowing out of the middle class and what Keynes talked about, the propensity to consume. It seems to me if there was one legitimate thing that Keynes had to say, I think that's one that I believe in. You put money in the hands of people that don't have any money and they'll go out and buy shoes for their kids and put food on the table. But uh, the middle class, and I wonder about whether or not we're going to see any meaningful savings because the middle class has to take everything they get and spend it, and they have to get food stamps, the lower, class, the lower income level people. They have we're more food stamps than we've ever had before, almost I think in America. And it's you know this is not a good scenario uh, for increasing demand. It seems to me, and let me know what you think about this, but it seems to me if we really had Keynesians that were concerned Keynesians about the society, they would be sending money out to the lower income groups, and and they would stop uh, bankrolling the rich and the powerful. What do you think? Well, I, I think you've got a, you're you're right on target here, uh, Jay. Uh, the the very small proportion of the economy that's wealthy is getting much wealthier, much stronger, and they do spend, but it's a very small proportion. Right. And, and the rest, of the rest of the economy, probably eighty percent, is being made into to middle and lower middle class, and they're not getting the wage, the per capita wage, real wage gains, real wage gains. We've seen for years and years and years that's not happening. So I think that the um, the issue is one of austerity. It's happening to a very large proportion of this economy, and this economy in the United States is seventy percent uh, consumer driven. It's not like mm-hmm. Germany or, or China. It's seventy percent consumer driven, and that's a big problem. So this government, this Federal Reserve, and this government wants the American consumer to consume and i think we're seeing that slow down very now this is the season of of buying gifts and so it's hard to measure it in november and december right after uh um thanksgiving but i think we're seeing impoverishment we're seeing zero interest rates uh that really hurt senior citizens and there's a large proportion today of baby boomers that are going through this process and uh so basically this very small proportion of the rich are getting richer, and the rest of the economy is getting much, uh, much is being more impoverished. And that's a problem for the U.S. economy, and it's a problem for the world. Uh, no, no question about it. I, I want to know, though, um, you know, if, if I mean, we're, we're seeing this, this decline in the consumption, the ability to consume. Uh, but clearly, it seems to me the more the government gets involved in, in manipulating interest rates or what have you, uh, in the short term, maybe there's some brief relief, but longer term, it just seems to create bigger problems. Uh, what are you discovering in your discovery investment quest for finding new ideas? Uh, are there some that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I think one right off the top is, it wasn't my discovery, but 
if you look at uh, 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 shale oil development, you have to believe that that has revolutionized the energy industry. Now, there are a lot of complaints about fracking or hydraulic fracturing of the earth, but uh, basically it, it will make us uh, energy independent here. And so what I'm seeing in that sector, Jay, are all kinds of improvements to, to what we call fracking of all kinds of going from 160 acres of well to 40 acres of well. They're going from the top of the zone to the bottom. There are all kinds of productivity improvements coming in company by company, and those are the kinds of um, what I call dis- what Chris and I, my son and I, call disruptive discoveries. And they're mm-hmm. very, very interesting, and they're having a huge impact. I heard your, your conversation with Chen on, on oil. This is a huge impact on the energy world and a huge impact on our deficit and what we have to do in this country. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of opportunity to be made in the Eagleford Shale in Texas, for instance. Um, people have bemoaned the fact that, you know, these kinds of discoveries, you know, uh, tail off very quickly, but the fact is the technology is moving ahead in these areas. So I'm looking at those things, and I'm also looking at some things like uh, plasma torch technology for processing of minerals. That ha- It's not quite here yet, but it, it's, it's going to be soon, and it has the potential to revolutionize how we extract minerals from the earth. So those are Michael. a couple of things that, we, that we're dealing with now. Okay, Michael, let me ask you this. Um, you are working with your son, Chris. Now, Chris was working with you. Do you still pull out, put out your, uh, your missives from time to time? Yes, okay. yeah, we do. It's, it's uh, morning notes, um, and uh, Chris, Chris and I write maybe once a week or so now. I used to write every day, as you remember, Jay. And, yes. Uh, now we're much more selective in, in what we write about. Um, some of the interesting things we're seeing now are, for instance, uh, there are some z- things happening in the zinc market that are really, really interesting. Um, there are some big discoveries in Mexico now in the mining sector, but this is the toughest market I have ever seen for exploration and discovery and, and development companies in mining. Okay, well, um, let, let me ask you just a second. Let me ask you, uh, where, how can people avail themselves to, that, uh, to your morning notes? Uh, simply going to uh, www.discoveryinvesting, uh, um, one word, discoveryinvesting. Discovery investing. okay. Very good, yeah. and you can put the name on the list and, and get your, uh, your missives sent out to you, uh, exactly. that you that you and your son work on. Let me ask you, you know, uh, getting to the issue of deflation, uh, it, it certainly is not a bad thing for the mining industry necessarily, to, especially in a deleveraging age. When you have, a, a, you know, Bob Hoy has done work along these lines. If you go back and look at whenever we've had major deleveraging taking place, you've also seen uh, profits rising uh, in the mining sector, 1930s, for example, and we saw it briefly after the 2008-2009 uh, situation. Uh, are you seeing, I mean, so far it hasn't played out uh, with oil dropping, but I'm, I'm seeing, starting to see some revamped and upward revisions in the estimates that some of the analysts are making for some of the major gold mining companies. Uh, what are your thoughts along those lines? Any, any good news uh, for gold miners? Yeah. yeah, I think there's some, I think, you know, uh, Jay, I have to tell you, I was managing money, um, for Heartland Advisors, you mentioned, in 1999, and oil went to $12 a barrel. So where the oh. price goes is not necessarily related to value. I, I learned that the very hard way. But um, 
I, I, what I'm seeing is that a lot of the uh, mining companies that are over-levered now are, are uh, shucking off their properties that, that aren't going to make it. So there's a lot of opportunity out there in the sector for properties that are becoming available. Um, and several of the big mining companies are really struggling. I think Barrick mm-hmm. is one of them that's struggling, for instance. Yeah, Old Corp for is sure. one that has a fairly clean balance sheet, so it's not struggling to the right. extent... So I and and I I agree with Chen. I think when we were at eleven forty, we were really close to a bottom in gold. So and at fifteen dollars silver, silver we were a hundred million ounces short of silver supply the last two years if, uh, in total of the last two years. So pretty soon, what you see is uh, exploration and development stops. And when that happens, this force this is a reflexive action that forces the price of the commodity back up. Let me also point out that, as you know, the Senate last week published a 400-page report suggesting the top four banks had a significant hand in manipulating uh, and, and showed some of, the, some of the issues in manipulating the commodity markets. And I think you're going to see some action on behalf of the Congress to try to rein in these too-big-to-fail uh, partners in the commodity market. So I well, think overall this thing has a chance to, to bottom and, and to move up. I think it's too cheap here. All right, Michael. I'd like you to stay with us. I've got David Jensen with me now, and uh, as I think it's a good time to bring him in with the last eight or nine minutes we have left for today's show. But uh, when you talk about market manipulation, uh, David Jensen has been watching some dynamics uh, in the gold market that I think are extremely important. And as we were talking to Chen a little earlier, we think that we could be on the, on the cusp of a breakout here above $1,200. Uh, David, are you with me now? Can you put David through? I'm here. Oh, David. Hi, David. Uh, yeah, so it was just, we were just talking to, to Michael Berry, uh, and he was talking and mentioning the manipulation and the Congress is looking after uh, some of these issues. I'm not so sure that I'm as optimistic as Dr. Berry is that the Congress is going to do anything meaningful, but I do think there's some very interesting market dynamics that are going on that you've brought to my attention and to our listeners' attentions, and I'd like you to just update us a little bit on, on some of these things. David, uh, primarily we're looking at the one-month lease rate, which is really rising very dramatically, and also the GOFO rate. Would you care to address those issues for our listeners? And then, Michael, perhaps a, a comment from you before we conclude the show, if you're still with us. Go ahead, David. Yeah, sure, Jay. Uh, just a quick note here on the, the size of the gold market. It's about um, uh, 160 million ounces a day or uh, almost 200 billion ounces a day trading versus only 50 million on the New York Stock Exchange for the daily trading of shares, it gives you an idea of this scale because everybody says the gold market is so much smaller than the other markets. Um, and meanwhile, it's four times as large. But we, on the lease uh, rate and the GOFO, we're seeing the lease rate now spike up to only um, the one-month lease rate spiking to uh, within two basis points of the uh, one-year uh, lease rate. And we don't see another example of that uh, going back uh, many, many years in the data. And that's indicating that there is an extraordinary demand uh, for gold, for physical gold um, in, the, in the market. Uh, the, the typical spread between those two is about uh, 30 basis points. So that gives you an idea. It's gone from 30 basis points down to just two basis points. And the one-month lease rate has spiked above the two, three, and the six-month lease rates. 
So people want this in the most liquid market, the one year, or sorry, the one month lease rate market, and they want it and they want it now. Um, the GoFo has also uh, been spiking negative. It, it uh, GoFo uh, represents uh, LIBOR minus the lease rate, and that has now spiked uh, strongly negative um, in the one month through the through to the six month um, uh, lives. Now, what is interesting about that is that the six month uh, GoFo rate has spiked down now for eight days negative, and it's plunging almost straight down. Yes. Um, and, and going back to before 2000, we cannot see um, another example of eight days. I mean, uh, in, in the early spring of 2014, there was three one-day spikes down in the GoFo rate uh, into the negative, um, but now it's been eight days sustained um, on the six-month basis. So, And, and as I mentioned, the uh, one month has been negative now for 22 days. So there, the, the physical market, um, I, I like the least number. It's the most intuitive to follow. Um, the lease rate is showing the demand for physical gold in hand, and that has uh, the spiking of it and the, and the inversion of the one month above the two, uh, the three, and the six month is, I think, really notable for your listeners. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems to me also going uh, when you speak of the GoFo rate, as I understand it, it's it's telling us that people are willing to pay more to borrow gold for one month than they're willing to pay to borrow dollars for one month with a LIBOR rate. Isn't that correct? That's right. It, it, ref, it reflects the, the GOFO is equal to LIBOR minus the lease rate. So when you've got a, a negative number there, it means that leasing gold is yielding, leasing out gold is yielding more than lending out U.S. dollars. And, and that should theoretically not be possible um, uh, because of the costs associated with holding gold. So it, it, the costs are, are, are not relevant at the margins here. It's the, it's the fact of actually getting the gold and holding the gold, which, which is desired by the market. I guess we can only speculate as to where this demand is coming from um, and you know what some of, the, some of the dynamics behind that demand might be. But it certainly seems to me uh, we have growing geopolitical issues around the world, primarily the BRIC countries versus the, what I call the Anglo-American Empire. We have Russia, Putin telling Russians they have one month to get rid of their, uh, to get rid of their dollars. Uh, where are they putting those dollars? I would guess maybe some of it is making its way into gold. I think uh, one of the people you and I know uh, that has been mentioning there is a connection between the timing of the Shanghai market when it went international or when it opened up for, for trading, uh, and also this lease rate. Uh, could you care to talk about that and maybe speculate a little bit on where this demand might be coming from? Demand for physical sure. as opposed to the casino chip gold that I like to call in the COMEX. Yeah, we, we don't know. It's a virtual market. There's many overlapping layers. Um, as you mentioned, Luke Grauman there from our discuss, discussion group, uh, he noted that the uh, bottom in the lease rates was within two days. It was September 16. And on September 18th, the Shanghai Gold Exchange International Board opened up. So we don't know if that's a factor. There are probably many factors at play here. Um, I think that the Swiss Gold Initiative, the referendum on that on November 30th, could be playing into it. We really don't know. It would make sense that if there's going to be a sudden demand for gold, that those who could owe out physical would want to be hand, holding it, pardon me, so that they could deliver into their contract. So we, we really don't know, Jay. It's, it's just so many different things. Greenspan's uh, commentary about gold being the, you know, the preeminent currency as well, there, there's, there's half a dozen or more, and it's very difficult to say. But what we do know is that physical gold is in demand, and the price 
um, in what you call the or we call the virtual market in, on the LBMA and in New York is not responding. Yeah, I think it's very interesting that Greenspan reiterates the importance and the lack of confidence in currencies and fiat money over time in front of the Council of Foreign Relations, no less. Very, very interesting forum for him to make those remarks. Uh, Michael, any, any comments? We've got another couple of minutes or so. Uh, any, anything you've heard David say that you might want to comment on? Well, I, I mean, um, my, my knowledge is uh, that the, the Chinese are buying gold. They're buying all the gold. That, I believe they bought all the gold that was produced last year. Yeah. So I think that's one thing. And secondly, is, you know, sooner or later, the paper markets are the tails that wag the dog. I happen to know this. I had a debate with Jeff Christian on this issue in Spokane <laughs> a few weeks ago. And, and uh, sooner or later, these guys are going to have to, you know, get out of their short position. Uh, and I think that's going to have I think the Swiss thing is, is of interest. But, you know, if the Fed contacted me and said, we want three seminars next year from, from me, and we mm-hmm. wanted on interest rate volatility. So they're they're so I think if they're looking at interest rate volatility, I think I think that means I think that bodes well for the price of gold actually. And I think we're gonna see more volatility in the interest rates as well as we as we go down this road. So it wouldn't surprise me to see I don't think we're gonna see two or three thousand dollar gold in the short term because of the deflationary aspect of the economy, but I think we're gonna see higher gold. And I think that will save a, a number of the uh, of the players in the gold mining industry. Well, and uh, indeed, uh, in my way of thinking, and as I look at mining companies, it's the real price of gold that matters even more. And as uh, I think history sort of points out, that during deflationary and when you have a deleveraging deflationary environment, that is very bullish for gold. If the cost of getting the stuff out of the ground is falling relative to the price, we're out of time, unfortunately. Never enough time with you guys, and uh, I want to thank both of you. David and, and Michael for being with us today. Folks, that is all the time we have today, but next week we're going to have John Williams with us, who is steadfastly believes that we're heading for a massive hyperinflation. Well, that's based on his belief that the dollar is going to crash, and at some point in time, as Michael said earlier, and I think David uh, has also spoken about on this show, it will. There will be a decline in the dollar. The dollar will lose its uh, – people lose their confidence in the dollar. And when that day comes, prices as denominated in the dollar are likely to skyrocket. So we're going to talk to John Williams. That's his thesis. He's with us next week. Uh, I also uh, – we're going to expect to have Gene Epstein with me to talk about uh, next week's guest at the New York City Junto. So thanks again, all of you, for listening. Uh, thanks to Tacey, uh, to Tacey Trump, my producer, and Matt Widener, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. And until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a low-cost, high-grade producer with 27 years of operating experience. In 2012, Avino resumed production at its historic Avino property and plans to be a multi-million ounce silver producer in three years. Avino is debt-free, well-funded, and has Sprott as its largest shareholder. Avino recently listed on the NYSE Amex Exchange, trading as ASM. Visit Avino online at www.avino.com. That's A-V-I-N-O dot com.